Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello, I'm Alex Grodnick. You're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today, a Bain consultant turned podcaster. We've got a great conversation with Pete from the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Now, I know that name doesn't really tell you anything about what his podcast covers, so I guess you're going to have to listen to the episode to find out. We don't talk about consulting enough on this podcast. Today, Pete makes it sound very cool. Just a reminder, Wall Street Oasis has a management consulting interview course that will prepare you for those killer interview questions. Check it out. And now, without further ado, Pete, welcome to the podcast. Alex, thank you. It's so fun to be here. Yeah. So you also have a podcast. It's called How to Be Awesome at Your Job. And so we are going to go deep into the uh, actionable insights that you've taken away from having almost 300 episodes. Congratulations uh, of talking with brilliant leaders on how to be awesome at your job. Oh, thank you. Well, I I love actionable insights. So this should be fun. Yeah. uh, But before we do that, we have to touch on the beginning. You started off your career at Bain. Uh, I'd love to hear about that. Oh, sure. Yes. You know, it, it's interesting. I was I was a weird kid in college. And from day one, I was determined and bound to go to a top strategy consulting firm. I remember I was even a little bit of a, uh, had a little bit of an attitude in my freshman year. I, I stumbled upon sort of a, a business fraternity uh, information session. I said, Oh, Hey, what's this about? It's like, Oh, this is a professional business fraternity. It's like, I haven't even heard of that. Didn't know that existed. It was like, Oh, so what's it about? And how's it good? And they say, Oh, we help people get jobs. And I remember I asked the guy, <laughs> Oh, do you have any recent alums at McKinsey and company, the Boston consulting group or Bain and company? He's like, uh, I don't, I don't think so. And I said, Oh, okay. No, thanks. <laughs> so I was just like, man, it was like, who's this freshman think he is like, hasn't even heard of my organization that he's grilling me. And then he walks away. Cause he thinks he's, he's better than that. But I guess I was just, I was just focused in terms of from a career perspective. That's what I want. Um, and, and so uh, fortunately, uh, I met some great people at the University of Illinois, and uh, a couple of them ended up, you know, getting into some of the firms. And I said, "Oh wow, tell me all about it." They said cool things, and so I remember the day I did a, a bunch of case interviews. I drove up to Chicago, the office was in the Sears Tower at the time, and I felt pretty good about the interviews. And came back down to Champaign, Illinois, and I was the MC for a, a date auction at the, for the model United nations club. That's right. I was a cool kid. <laughs> and, um, I, I remember I got a call and I could tell it was them. 
I just handed the microphone to one of the other club members and said, take over because <laughs> I can't miss this. And they said, Pete, you know, you're in for the internship. I was thrilled and uh, I had a great internship experience and, and learned a lot and uh, got an offer and accepted the offer and and then and did the thing. So that's how it began. I could go into some depths about my experience at Bain or, or where would you like to go? Yeah. Uh, well, first, I mean, that's so cool. I can remember in college when I got those internship calls and those, and those job offer calls and just like that, that feeling, uh, it's, it's tough to replicate that at any point in the rest of your life. It's, it's, it's such an incredible feeling. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think especially, you know, when you're, and I don't want to like over, over exaggerate, but part of it's just sort of like when you have your eyes on a prize for years at a time and, and it happens, it's, it's almost, um, but is it an extraordinary feeling? And so they're, they're different categories, you know, but I, I think of like, you know, the day I got married or the day I, I had saw my son, you know, face to face for the first time. I mean, it's, um, it's it's on that order of magnitude, although different, you know, and in terms of, whoa, this is something I've been thinking about and dreaming about and wanting for years. And here it is before me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the job because obviously you're not there anymore. You are a podcaster, an entrepreneur. So uh, make that connection for us. How how did you get from from there to here? Oh, sure thing. Well, you know, I really enjoyed Bain a lot in terms of I, I felt like I was my brain was expanding just about every day. I thought my colleagues were fantastic. I, I thought the work was was usually interesting. And, you know, I, I think what, what got me thinking about other things was on the side, I was doing some some speaking at student leadership events. And I was talking about, you know, goal setting or, or other topics here and there, because I wrote a book about leadership in student organizations in college. And, and I had a, a little bit of speaking opportunities from that. And and I remember I just got such a rush, um, you know, presenting on stage and and really feeling like I was making an impact in terms of sharing knowledge that was transformational for folks. And and and, it, and then I come back to work and I was like at Bay and I was like, you know, this is this is pretty cool. And it's and on the one way, it's it's at a much bigger scale in terms of whatever millions of dollars of budget and organizations being impacted. But in another way, you know, like the type of transformation we're making is not as doesn't feel as meaningful and exciting to me. And, and I'd also like a, a bit more autonomy to, you know, do my entrepreneurial thing. And, and I'd also like, you know, the ability to have a bit more knowledge of, will I be able to, you know, go to dinner <laughs> or will I not, you know, sure. on, on a given night in advance, you know, being able to make plans and, and such. So, so that was the thinking. I thought, you know, I was, I was doing some real uh, thinking about it all. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, this is something that I, I I love to do, and it feels right, you know, in, in thought and prayer. And uh, I realized, you know, I've seen people get paid to do this who I am pretty sure I could do better. And, and so I, I said, this is what I'm going to go do. And people often ask, well, oh, uh, so so how did you know when to leave Bain? And in a way, it was really easy because it's kind of it's kind of understood after about three years. They say, hey, so what's it going to be? Are you going to go to business school and come back? Are you going to you know, try to shoot for the direct promotion? So there's sort of a natural kind of transition point. I said, you know, actually, I think I'm going to go 
try to be a speaker, author, coach guy. <laughs> and it was funny because almost nobody did that. You know, I, I don't think I've met anyone from Bain who who did that, at least right out of sort of the, the, uh, the associate consultant, senior associate consultant role. And I remember almost all of the people at Bain, I told that I was going to do this. They said to me, well, now's the time to do it. And I thought that was kind of funny and that they weren't saying, I think you will succeed or I think you will fail. They were just acknowledging that's kind of a risky thing. I don't think that I would probably do. But if you're going to do it when you're 25 and, and not yet with the house and, and spouse and children is, is probably optimal. Yeah. And, you know, I went through something similar when I left investment banking. You know, you, as you said, you've kind of been striving for so many years and you've had your mindset on getting this one job and you get it and you're elated and it's great and you learn a lot. And then there's just something inside of you that just says, this is not quite right for me. I'm very happy that I did it. No one's going to say that working, starting your career off at Bain or starting your career off at an investment bank is a bad thing to do. Uh, But there's just, there's this kind of a, a pivot inside of your brain. Is that kind of how you saw it? Yeah, that's true. And I think that it was, it was intriguing. Like in a way you don't really know until, until you've been there, done that and, and seen it and experienced it. And, and I'd say Bain was so helpful for me in terms of, of realizing, Hey, wait a second. When I'm doing an information session, presenting and recruiting to, to folks at Bain about why Bain is great and they should come work there. Like I, I like those days more. Or when I am running case interviews, you know, I liked those days more than when I was doing, you know, the analysis and the slides most of the time. You know, sometimes there's a case cracking insight that got me so fired up, you know, or a slide that was so hot. You know, I really did get excited, you know, but from the work. But most of the time, you know, people development stuff kind of got me more fired up. And it was cool to see that based on, oh, those are the projects I loved most. Those are, are the parts of the job I love most interesting, you know? And so it it helped me kind of zero in on where I'd like to invest more of my career. Yeah. You were super fortunate to have seen that and recognized uh, that there was an aspect of the job that you liked better and you were able to, uh, to kind of, you know, set on a journey to pursue that. Right. Okay. So you leave and what happens? Oh man, you know, it's so funny. I should have really had known better from all of my learning at Bain about business strategy and stuff. I did not have a whole lot of a plan or a strategic vision for what I was going to do. I was just sort of like, you know, I thought I like speaking and people are getting paid for this and I think I can do as well. So, you know, let's go after it. And, and it really took me a while, I think, before I zeroed in on, you know, in a way, you know, Speaking, writing, training is is a business that has the same kind of rules or principles as as any other business with regard to, you know, there there are customers who have particular needs, and you need to address those needs with with products, services, offerings that they find delightful, you know, relative to you know their alternative substitutes, competitors at a, an acceptable price point. And so that's kind of obvious, or it really should have been for me after doing all this strategy consulting work. But I, I think that I had a whole lot of, you know, follow your passion kinds of voices in my head so that I, I wasn't even really 
uh, putting that kind of rigor to it up front, I, I was just sort of like, well, hey, I like speaking and let's let's go do it. And so I, I had a, a few hiccups along the way in terms of, you know, trying to to start some some businesses. And I partnered with great folks, you know, tremendous uh, intelligence and pedigree, you know, Stanford, McKinsey, et cetera. And, um, and, and was kind of really did some, some failing in terms of, oh, oh, this business, which is, you know, low cost online math tutoring for, for youngsters, you know, got $0 of revenue or that business, uh, kind of a, a prep, uh, prep weekend, you know, post high school, pre-college, you know, for students. Oh, that, that didn't go anywhere. And, and, and so I think a lot of things, you know, weren't uh, working out so well until I got a little bit more focused you know, in terms of saying, okay, well, where, where I really seem to have a sweet spot is teaching critical thinking and communication collaboration tools, which, you know, I, I learned at Bain and, and even beforehand, I was really into, uh, to professionals and and as a result, getting some some real results that you can kind of measure and, and evaluate and quantify and, and show that yeah, this is absolutely a prudent use of of money from for a corporation. So I was I was doing this uh, enhanced thinking and collaboration training series that I called it ETC, and and that was it was pretty cool to see like hey the before after results show that real professionals are are wasting you know about one point. 1.4 fewer hours of waste per person per week as a result of applying these tools. And that was really cool for me. And so then I went and said, you know, how do I get more people to know about this great thing I have? And I said, well, I love, I love talking to people and podcasts are cool and growing. Maybe that's a, a medium. And so I started the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. And it's so funny of all of the things I've I've tried out, this has been the most successful. And I think the key reason for that is I had gotten so fed up with doing things that didn't work. I decided I don't care how cool I think this idea is, how much passion I have for it, and how just, you know, excited I am and how awesome it should be. I refuse to build another thing until I am convinced that the world wants it. And, uh, and so that's where I, I did like three different uh, consumer survey tools to, to assess what might be the interest in this, in this podcast, interviewed numerous folks. And, and that was kind of my, my thought in terms of, I had to see a, a healthy amount of, of interest in this and distinctiveness from, you know, competitors, uh, alternatives to make it worth my while. And, and I did. And, and I saw, I got some great e input back and I said, well, heck, if 4% of working professionals in the United States are 10 of 10, extremely interested in listening to such a, a show, which is what one of my surveys suggested, then that's enough. That is enough of an audience to, to rock and roll. Now, 96% of the, the world, I guess, is not all that interested in, in becoming awesome at their job or, or at least listening to a podcast to do so. And that's fine. You know, I, I won't be serving uh, those folks, but uh, those who are into it, you know, we're having a lot of fun and it's, it, it's taken off. Pete, I love it. You put your uh, Bain skill sets to, to you, to real use. You did a competitive analysis, 
the whole thing. Well, that that's great. So let's get into it now. We've got the background out of the way. Uh, we can get into the exciting stuff and start seeking our teeth into how to flourish at work and how to be awesome at your job. Certainly. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, so we're on episode 267. Uh, you've been doing this for a couple years now. Um, what have been some of your big takeaways? You know, it, it's intriguing. And I, I tend to to bundle those into a few categories, uh, which has also helped as we're kind of sifting through, you know, which guests should we book? And, and so, you know, I, I could talk for, for many hours, but I'll, I'll try to just summarize more so. You know, I, I think that, you know, one of the first takeaways as, as that's really shown up is that it comes to what you might call presence or, or mindfulness, and, and that uh, folks who are really awesome at their job really do show up with a sense of, you know, alertness and awareness each day such that they don't get kind of pulled into, sucked into kind of suboptimal uses of their, their time, energy, and attention. And, and so, you know, th- there's many ways we can speak to, to that. But I think I've been intrigued by just how many high performers, it seems, have some kind of a of meditation or mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. That just that has come up again and again and again, and it's so much so that you know, I said, okay, I guess I need to do this. <laughs> like all the all the cool kids who are making things happen are doing it, and you know what? What's interesting is that I I have discovered, sure enough, when when I take that time to engage in you know just uh, focusing on on breath for a few minutes at, at, with the consistency in the day, I do have you know, a, a reduced sense of, of reactiveness and a better sense of being able to continually, you know, put my attention back to the things that, that matter the most. So uh, it, it's funny, everyone has their things. And I find that my brain, you know, the consulting, the consulting vibe is like, I'm just so curious about so many things that if, if a, a question hits my brain, I go, Oh yeah. You know, I, I would, I think about it from every angle, wanted to like dig into it and think about how I would test it. And, and, and I learned that, you know, that's kind of mentally exhausting to just be yeah. doing that nonstop about everything. Like, uh, Oh, what strategy would enable me to minimize my postage spend uh, on the, the thank you gifts I send to my, send to my guests. It's like, Pete, the maximum impact of that is going to be like $18 a year. <laughs> it's not really worth thinking that hard about. And, and it's like, okay. And so, so just having that little, that little extra bit of awareness is like, I've got a question. This is intriguing to me. I'm starting down the path. It's like, but wait a minute. Is that a question really worth answering? You know, not yeah. really. I'll let it go. <laughs> yeah. And those are the things that usually bombard my brain as I set out on a meditative uh, process and I'm trying to sit down for 10 or 15 minutes and breathe and you have to quiet your mind and things like that are just popping in left and right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I liked, I don't remember, I've, I've got all the apps. <laughs> I don't remember where it came from, but I, I liked a perspective that one of the, the meditation teachers said, which says, um, if you notice that your attention is beginning to drift, that means that your awareness and mindfulness is already growing. 
And I thought, how, how on earth is that true? If, my, if I know somebody's attention is drifting, that means I'm screwing up, I'm failing, I'm not doing it right, I'm underperforming. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, it's the fact that I noticed that that was happening that is beneficial because before it was just happening, I didn't notice. And so I said, nice reframe meditation guru. And so I found that very encouraging. It's like, I notice it a lot. And each noticing means I am getting better as opposed to, I sure suck at this. Yeah. Well, I, I like that, that that's a very actionable one, getting that, uh, that focus, doing a meditative process early in the day and, uh, and being less reactive and being more focused on, on your goals. Okay. So good one. What's next? Well, sure. Well, then let's, let's talk about, Hey, what are you going to put that attention upon? You know, what is really worth doing? And, you know, one thing that is, is a theme that's appeared again and again is that a lot of folks, they have the wrong idea of, of what constitutes, you know, productivity or, or, or what is, is the most important thing. And so, so some folks in their eagerness to please and, and be an overperformer will kind of say yes to everything, uh, which kind of quickly gets them uh, overcommitted uh, and they don't want to turn, let down their colleagues anyway, but, but then it results in their, them scattering their attention and it's suboptimal. Or, you know, you just assume that um, what winning means in, in your brain or in one context is, is what winning means in your current work context. One of my favorite examples is I had a, a buddy who's a lawyer and, and he's good. He's good at being a lawyer and he is good at writing, you know, briefs and motions and, and all the things lawyers do. And he took great pride in, in excellence, you know, and, and creating a great output in, in all of he, he does in his craft. And so he thought what being a good lawyer meant was crafting the most beautiful, outstanding motions and briefs that he could, because that's what most of his day was spent doing, you know, typing away at the computer. And then it became clear to him that no, really what excellence means in, in this firm is, you know, serving more clients and, and generating more, more revenue as a result of, of having done so and, and putting the extra polish on, on these documents, you know, does nothing in so far as if, if it's good enough to get the judge to do what you want the judge to do, then, then we're done, you know? And so you're actually better off kind of curtailing that, uh, that love of, of excellent language and, and just moving on to to producing more elsewhere. So I think that's interesting. There's often a, a disconnect uh, between what you think is important and what your your boss thinks is important. And by ensuring that you have alignment and clarity on, hey, what's your biggest headache? What's most important to you right now? What's the most leveraged thing I could really take off your plate and and, and make uh, amazing for you in your life? You know, that sort of uh, continual conversation and prioritization is is really key in order to to make sure you're you're barking up the right tree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of being most effic- efficient and effective, yeah, you got to be working on these on like the highest uh, margin tasks, the lowest hanging fruit, uh, so to say, even though it sounds like your buddy is probably very good and gets a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment from drafting, you know, an excellent and, and well-rounded uh, piece, maybe it doesn't need to go, you know, quite that far. Absolutely. Yes. And, and when you talk about, you know, low hanging fruit to, you know, bring me to uh, consulting isms, you know, I just, I come back to the 80, 20 rule again and again and again, which uh, most listeners are probably familiar, but it is the notion that, you know, a roughly 80% of, of outcomes or results comes from roughly 
20% of you know, inputs, whether that's or resources, your, your time and money. So maybe 80% of sales will come from 20% of your customers, et cetera. And, and I think that that is so potent and, and worth just like sitting with and thinking about frequently because the the implication of this, so so the economist behind it, Vilfredo Pareto, he calls the the critical 20%, the the vital few, and the less critical 80%, you know, the trivial many. So I've played around with this in Excel. And if you compare the ratio between outputs and inputs, you know, it's kind of like you get four units of output for one unit of input when you're working on the vital few things versus a fourth of a unit of output per one unit of input on the trivial many things. Thusly, the ratio between of importance between the important things and the not so important things is 16 to one. So I, I just think that's so huge because it's not so much that, hey, you know what, this is a little bit more important than that. So, okay, I should probably, you know, give it a little bit more attention. It's like, no, uh, the the most important things according to this guideline, and I find it often to be true, are, are worth 16 times as much as the lesser things. And I think this is true for time a lot of the times in terms of often where things are urgent and we just got to kind of put something out there, get it done, get it out there. And then if you could stop and take a step back, I've been surprised at how many times I can maybe just put two or three hours of, of thought and effort into you know, creating a process and getting someone to help me out and work that process. And, and then I can save just sort of hours a week after week after week, whether that's maybe putting a piece of software in or automating something that you do again and again. I, I think it's, it's easy to get kind of caught up in the urgent, this needs to get out the door, as opposed to stepping back and saying, what is a means by which we can make this happen oh so much faster and easier? And the time spent getting to the bottom of that is, you know, time spent on on the twenty percent goodness, the the vital few things that has just massive outsized leveraged implications when you do it. Right, and there's certainly uh, some margin for error there if you're devoting resources to figuring out something that's going to make your life much much more efficient. That. Uh, once you do figure it out, you know the the time savings and efficiencies will will uh, be multiplicative. Absolutely, it's huge, it's powerful, and uh, and it's exciting. So I'd say the the more that you find yourself quote too busy and and chasing after putting out the next fire drill, that that's kind of a bit of a, a warning sign that you, you're probably doing things in a suboptimally productive manner. So I'd say to the extent that's possible, it's it's awesome to have a bit of that that leeway, that buffer time, that thinking capacity, because that could just cascade to to save many more hours down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And so Pete, the podcast is going for uh close to 30 minutes now. I want to be mindful of both of our time. Let's before we get into the, you know the end piece here where we offer advice for our listeners. Is there one more actionable piece of advice uh, that that you've gleaned from from all of your work? You know, I will. I will say it, and, and I learned it at Bain, and I I think I've honed it by doing you know many many coaching conversations with many clients. And it's about hypothesis driven thinking. 
I think it's so helpful. And now that it sounds a little bit fancy, but I think you'd make it way simple by saying you can improve any decision by asking yourself just two simple questions. One, what must be true for this to be a smart choice? Kind of all the things. Well, hey, it's got to fit the budget. Everyone's got to like it. It's got to work in these ways with this software. You know, what must be true for this to be a good idea? And secondly, how can I test that? How could I get a little bit of a taste or a little bit of a preview of that before I invest, you know, a hundred hours or fifty thousand dollars of of corporate money into this thing? And and if you if you take that time, it's amazing how things that you might overlook, you don't overlook, and smart ways to get a little taste, you you taste rather than kind of burning lots of time, money, resources, and 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 getting regret. You can cut down the avoidable failure rate tremendously with those two powerful questions. I love it. Pete, and my hypothesis is that if people tuned into your podcast, they would get many more hacks to boost work performance. Oh, I, I think that that is a valid hypothesis. I, I encourage folks to test it, you know, by, by checking it out. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, low barrier to test, too. I don't think it costs anything to listen to one of your podcasts, right? Totally free, yeah. Okay. Well, I love it. Pete, thanks so much for doing this. I, uh, this was a really fun conversation. Oh, yes. Alex, is a blast. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun listening to it as I had making it. If you did love it, leave us a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. Thanks.